0: Welcome to another episode of Behind the Strategy, helping you boost your business and love life that little bit more by challenging your perspective, motivating your mind and simplifying your strategy with today's inspiring guest who'll be sharing what's behind their own strategy. Make sure you pop that subscribe button and share with someone who needs this today. So from down inside the lab, because we don't let her out every day, your host, Kate Whitley. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And no, that's because sometimes I like to be invisible, and I'm really looking forward to chatting to my next guest, who will be talking all about visibility. Jenny Kovacs. What I love about you, Jenny Kovacs, is you are a positive, forward thinker. Right? You. happy you are smiley when you are with other people you are always there to back people up we've worked together on Clubhouse we've done discussions and you always find a way to complement somebody's information with additional information giving extra information and you're not ashamed or afraid to talk about your own experiences either because they're very very important but I think what I love best about you is that you are you And I know that sounds a bit cliche, but you are just you. And I know that's the whole thing about being the visibility queen. And it's, you know, your role modelling. But actually, that's your personality and character as I see it. And underneath that, the other thing I really love about you is that you think you're thoughtful and you think about things before you just blurt things out. You consider, you weigh up the odds and you're very kind. That has always come across. So do you think that sums you up a bit there? Have you ever had somebody
1: cry when you've just introduced them? That's so lovely. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah, I always say this. People say after talks and things, how did it go? And I'm like, ask the person. So for you to say that about me is such an honour. Thank you so much. I have nothing to add, my lady.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The question is, right, Jenny, what I really want to know is Visibility Queen. Now, when I was younger... There were several things I wanted to be when I grew up. One was I always fancied myself as the Queen. Obviously, that's not possible. But I thought I could be the Queen of something. But I don't know whether it's because I was just bossy or a good leader. Who knows? <laughs> Probably quite bossy as a kid. But growing up wanting to be a visibility Queen, I can't see you running around the playground saying that. So how does that equate? What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: When I was really tiny, I mean, I'm talking three or four, for some reason I wanted to be a scientist. I know. Don't even ask me why. When I got to about four, my mum actually had a friend who was a scientist. and She was a Filipino lady who was a scientist. So the minute my mum told her that, she used to bring me all of her science magazines. And I think (laughs) I soon realised that was my first career switch. (laughs) So, yeah, you're right. I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be the queen of being seen. That was a whole journey. And interesting, I know you're all about the strategy as well. It was a happy accident that I got to be in the Visibility Queen. So I went through lots of iterations. After the science thing, I then wanted to be a dancer for many years. (laughs) I just kind of meandered through. You know you hear these podcasts and these interviews of people that say, from the moment I was one, I always knew that I wanted to be a such and such. That's not me, but I think I have a similarity between financial advisors because I've never heard anyone at school say that when I grow up, I want to be a financial advisor, but there are plenty out there in the world. So I kind of meandered through life, and actually, where it brings me today, some decades later, is that all of these things that I was interested in, not only at college or as a kid, all of these things, actually, when I joined the dots going back, They kind of make sense, all of these insights into different industries and different things. So when I got to my teenage years from school, not a lot of people know this, but I actually qualified to be a chef. Yeah, I went to catering college and I qualified to be a chef, worked in a very, very nice hotel where I was growing up. And people might say, well, what has that got to do with being in business and strategy now? And I think sometimes being able to take those ingredients and put them together for something to come out and work actually is somehow very helpful. So
0: all of these weird and wonderful things brought me to today. So actually being a chef, it has more than that, I think. You have to work as part of a team. You're creating something for somebody else for them to enjoy. They would have paid for it and they're expecting value. And so that is something that's really important going forward as well. If you create something that has no value, it's not going to sell. People aren't going to be interested in it and you're not going to have a business. So being able to think, what do people like? And as a chef, people will come to you for their traditional things, their comfort zone food, the things they know they're going to like and expect from you. If you're in a nicer hotel, people are more likely to push the boat out and try something new. So I think actually there's a lot more behind each job and a position for just running, that you bring to running a business? You've hit the nail on the head because
1: I learned a lot of things through being a chef and more specifically through work at the nicest hotel in the area. I learned as a kid that came from very humble beginnings that you could have a 14 course meal. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Therefore, I learned all about the order of cutlery. I learned about high quality. I learned about premium clients, pairing wines with different foods. I liken it to going to finishing school, actually. It was like this kid got to go to finishing school. And ironically, it was then, once I stopped working Saturday night as a young girl and decided that I would go out partying instead and at least have a social life, I made a decision back then, before I knew how my life would pan out, that catering was something I could always go back to, and I could potentially start my own business Catering or making things. So, wasn't it ironic that decades later, when I actually started this business of training and coaching, it was training and coaching on one hand and true story cakes and chocolates on the other, because I always felt like it was something I could fall back on. And I soon kind of got rid of that side of the business for reasons that we may uncover as we go through. But it was then that I made that decision. This is a skill this is something I can always fall back on so it panned out quite well
0: yeah absolutely so what skills do you think that you bring best for you I don't mean for you working with other people or helping other people which Mm. skills do you feel that you've learned that have really changed and had an impact on you as a person and how you see the world or your world
1: Yes, there was a very service-based piece. I mean, I know people talk about service-based businesses, but I'm talking there was a very service-based piece that was instilled in me from quite a a young age, like how to serve people, not be so reactive to other people. And even to this day, I still find myself like picking on those skills. So I found that I was in a position, I guess, where I found out what it was like to be amongst high net worth people like people that had money so again you kind of like you can be discerning of people's characters i'm not saying one is right or wrong good or bad better or worse but it kind of gave me this ability to almost be a chameleon and work into like kind of how to be in different spaces i could literally be sat on the street corner speaking to someone who's homeless and really forming a connection with them And very recently, I just, like, under a week ago, I was in the House of Commons, you know. It didn't make me feel out of place. And in between that, it could be a boardroom with senior executives. It could be a leadership team. It could be people that kind of aspire to make something of themselves. It really made me a chameleon to be able to not just to get on with people, but to enjoy being with different types of people genuinely.
0: That's a really important skill. I feel that I have that too. I feel the same as you. And that is that people are people. Wherever you are in life, you're going to have had your own experiences, whether you've had money or you haven't had money, the way I see it. And it just means that it changes how you will make a decision. It changes your risk level, your level of risk. It changes what you've got to lose and how, if you can afford to lose it. Financially, status-wise, responsibility. So being able to recognise that and seeing how people quite often get stuck within the stream of that type of thinking. I think when Mm -hmm. you can move through that and you see that, I think that's really useful for yourself as well. But I think it's also a skill that you take on because you've seen things from a different perspective that you can offer and share and actually help that person then make a better decision or see something differently. And Mm. not everybody's open to that, are they? Have you found that if you've been talking about an experience that may not necessarily resonate with the people that you're talking to, but you need to tell them about that because it's real life. Have you come across people who don't want to listen? They don't want to hear it because they're already set in their ways, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What you just said, I think, is a reason, by the way, that we gelled instantly, I think, because we saw that same resonance of different people and our ability to be able just to get like muck in and be with people. It's interesting. What you just asked me, I didn't even know it was a thing until I discovered a book called Strengths, Finder, which I talk about so much. Um, when I did that test a couple of decades ago now, I realised that my top strength was something called individualization. And I suspect it's high in yours as well. It's our inability to tile lots of people with the same brush. So 10 lawyers in front of you, Kate, you will be able to see the gold, I think, in each and every one of them. You'll be able to see their differences and their nuances and that broad. So being able to recognise people's gold, recognise the individual traits of different people, even though everyone else might be saying, oh, they're all the same, is definitely what came out of
0: that. Yes, because you're a trainer and you train all different sorts of businesses and industries. But the point is, when you're actually creating the training programmes, when you're designing the workshop, whether it's a one off or a series, You take that into consideration, don't you? So I know for a fact that you've trained at a corporate level where they all are in the same industry. They have different parts to play. I think this is the important thing, isn't it? Everybody has a different part, a different cog, and that's Mm. what makes teamwork, obviously. But it also, each cog is an individual. The way that the cogs click together, they're going to create their own scars, their own dents, their own perspective based on their own experiences. And it's taking that into consideration, isn't it? And as a trainer, you have to recognize that when you're teaching to get everybody in the room invested in what you're saying, but also mm. make it general enough so that people aren't feeling picked out of the only one as well. That's quite a skill. How have you developed that and what we've been talking about? Is it practice or tell me, how does that, how do you train yourself for that? It's an interesting question because
1: the answer to that question actually leads back to the answer to the previous question. When you're met with somebody who doesn't want to listen or doesn't want to hear, I think it takes a certain amount of skill and maybe confidence in ourselves to say, well, I'm not going to persuade you then. So, how do you do that, and how do you do it in a training um, perspective? And I'm sure that when I say this, you'll go, "Yeah, I do something like that as well." But for me, in that sort of training context, the persuasion part of it starts before you hit the training room or before you hit the stage if you're speaking or something like that. So, I've already done the groundwork beforehand. How do you do that? People say, then, when you're training, well. It's very easy to think, as the trainer, you write the training, you rock up in the room and you train the thing. Well, to use a training needs analysis or something like that, there's different ways that you can analyse somebody's training need. So when you have the conversations with the right person or the right people up front, a lot of the groundwork is already prepared there. That lets you know how you're going to adapt your training style, what you're going to do with those people in the room how you're going to do it whether you're going to do role play or not a lot of places that i go into i purposely don't use role play because they've already come with this expectation or classic team building pyramids all of that comes from me assessing What do they want to get out of it? What's the like number one thing they want to get out of it? What the organization or sometimes like, for example, it could be your audience, Um, you know, I speak to a lot of kind of like mastermind groups and things like that. So I not only want to know what the people in the room need out of it, I also want to know what the host wants out of it and I'll meld that together. The short answer is I listen a lot. I might ask questions, but I actually listen a lot to hear what they actually want, and sometimes to hear what's needed underneath what they want, which I know for a lot of your clients, they're business owners and things as well. If they can get to listening in a way that they hear the person and answer the question that they didn't even think to ask, it really gives a good experience all round when they go to do their online courses. And I know you help people with that and all of that kind of stuff as well. So it's like setting the groundwork beforehand and ultra listening, where you not only hear them without any agenda, but you also can answer the
0: question that they might not even know to ask. Does that even make sense? It makes 100 percent sense. It really, really does. And I think sometimes as well that I used to train and do when I was working for the social services for the children's. service, And I just to have to train for safeguarding amongst other things that I was training. And quite often I would go into a place, an organisation, and what the management wanted everybody to get out of it, what their purpose was, sometimes clashed or perhaps was in conflict with what the Mm. actual participants expected to get out of it. And the amount of times that I've sat in a room and I've started something, somebody has come out with a comment and I've just listened and I've paused and I've carried on looking at them. And they feel then obliged to carry on saying something else, and you can set the tone by that looking around you, seeing how people are reacting and responding to that person, whether it's a positive comment or a negative comment or a oh, we've done all this before type comment. Mm. You can gauge and see what's going on. And when you pause, when listening isn't just about hearing what somebody's saying, it's about pausing and waiting for the rest of it, isn't it? Because, yeah. That's one of the key things about visibility. I think I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But just going back to that, you sometimes pick up an underlying atmosphere, and sometimes I've just stopped and said, "Okay, well, let's talk about this first. How does this fit? Where are you right now?" And especially when there isn't any management in the room or something like that, you can actually hear what's really being said, and make your decisions as to how you proceed and what you're going to do. And that's what you do. I mean, we were just doing clubhouse rooms, but actually that's what you do. You hear what somebody said based on what you've said, and then you will respond and tie it in because you're not just waiting for your turn to speak. You're actually listening to what they're saying. And that mm. is such a key point, isn't it? Mm, it absolutely is. And I think,
1: you know, especially as you were talking about your experience of the training and stuff like that in the room, It's so interesting, the conversations that happen when like management isn't here. Business owners, the conversations that happen when maybe they're working from home, but their kids aren't around or significant others aren't around. It's part of allowing people to really be themselves. And I've always said sometimes it's what people don't say as well rings a little alarm bell you're like there's something there they're not saying it maybe because they don't feel able to or they're allowed to so it's listening for the gaps as well I think isn't it and you just hear it and I actually quite enjoy which I didn't when I first started was when you're in those spaces and people are saying oh but management don't do this or this doesn't happen finding a safe way to be able to feed back the gaps senior leadership team without telling tales on anybody, but helping them to get to a solution. This is why this isn't working. Do you realize that most people feel demotivated when you do X, Y, and Z? And my two pennies worth is here's what you can do next. Cause everyone needs the next step management and people in the room included. So it's quite fun and I do geek out on it. But I honestly, when I first started doing it, like over 30 years ago, I found it really uncomfortable because I felt like I'd stumbled across something and what should I say next? What should I do? And when I got out of my own discomfort and just listened and and watched what was going on as well, who was shutting who down in the room, it really made a difference.
0: And you see that online, that whole shutting yes. down people, don't you? We see that with yes. people saying, This works here, this works here, and then the other person saying that doesn't work, do this instead. I mean that's what the whole online business is. But it's also about the art of negotiations as well and compromise. When I've listened to this, okay, how can I make that work? I want to come back to the visibility because Teaching somebody and encouraging people to get visible as far as their businesses are concerned, well, that makes sense, right? That's 100%, it makes sense. We all know we need to get out there more and there's a lot of people who are afraid to say this because of a reason. There's all sorts of underlying reasons why. Let's take business out of it. Let's just take business aside for the minute. Mm -hmm. Being visible as a person. In just feeling heard that like you're being seen was there a time when you trying to do something or you were in a situation where you didn't feel seen at all where you just did not feel heard was there a time when that was really sort of like a, a pivotal moment or a that, well if you remember it now it's obviously going to be because our brain does like to remember all the <laughs> the negative things more than the positive things, isn't it but that's forward thinking think positive. absolutely in the pandemic,
1: one of my biggest insights and my biggest reflections was the answer to that question. Why can I not let go of this visibility stuff? Why does it feel like it's my life purpose? And I reflected the many times um, throughout my life where I'm going to say I felt invisible. I felt like I wasn't being seen and heard and still feel like I'm not being seen and heard because it, it kind of never stops. It evolves and it's like you can tick off a couple of areas and then something springs up again and it kind of has to let you navigate it so i would say one of the first places i think that i didn't feel seen and heard were through various points at school and the first one i became aware of only about probably 10 years ago if even that so i was in a class with a teacher who was teaching keats I loved the way this teacher taught poetry. I don't know why, I was absolutely fascinated by it. And I remember the kids that I went to school with were really bored by it. You know, oh my gosh, English language, you know. Uh. Every time the teacher said, does anyone want to know anything else? I would ask lots of questions. Now, anyone that knows me knows that I'm curious by nature. I will ask lots of questions about stuff because I'm interested. So that's what I was doing. And for whatever reason, This teacher took my questions to be that I didn't understand or I was struggling and basically kicked me out of a class. Now, all of this didn't really land in my head until, like I say, like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. It didn't land until then. At that point, I was eight. I didn't know how to express myself in a way against a grown up to say, I'm not struggling, I love it. I wanted to say, all the other kids are really bored and they don't want me to ask questions. And if they're not gonna ask questions, I wanna ask the questions, because I love this and I love what you're teaching us. But it's almost like I didn't have the thought and the language. So I definitely wasn't seen and heard in that space. I found out years later why, unfortunately, not the best of reasons, but subsequently I was moved into another class, which meant I was at the top stream I was moved down the stream. So I definitely wasn't seen and heard then. And how I felt at that time, even as a child, definitely kind of like shone forward into my adult life and what I thought I was worth, if I was worthy and all of that kind of stuff. Um, From a personal point of view, that was one of the times when it really became prevalent. And I realized that other people have other versions of this in their lives, childhood, teenage, adult years, older
0: years. Yeah, to me, that I have a similar story, exactly, as you said. And what hit me was feeling of being misunderstood. I remember at a very young age how important it was or how I took on my own responsibility that I knew sometimes when I said something or my tone of voice may have been different or people have looked at uh, my facial expressions, which still happens today, People say, oh, don't get stressed about something. And I'm thinking your version of what stress looks like. I'm animated with like, wow, this is amazing. And it's about being able to read people. We assume each of us as individuals, we assume that what we're looking at is true. Mm. Right. And so as far as visibility is concerned, people, I don't think, have taken that on board that we are quite often caught up with what we literally just see without what's behind it, without listening. You sometimes can't. You have to make a quick judgment. Evolutionary psychology, saber-toothed tigers, (laughs) you know. Mm. Yeah. And so being misunderstood and for somebody to not get it right and to see you in a different light, because we think that we are like A, B and C. And actually to suddenly find out the world has seen us as C, B, D and F or A with us a number thrown in. Each person will individually take it one way. Now, I made my mission to make sure that I could learn every single word I possibly could. And I said devour dictionaries, thesauruses, encyclopedias, because I thought if I could know everything and know all the words, then I would be able to put myself into a place where people would always understand what I had to say. Um, unfortunately backfired because half the time I'd come up with stuff nobody else knew (laughs) but there you go (laughs) but for you going back to visibility when you're helping somebody with the confidence to be able to step into themselves it's about knowing that isn't it for them to recognise who they are that must be sometimes quite tricky When somebody's trying to be what they think they need to be and they start believing that they are, but you can quite Mm. clearly see that they are not. It's
1: such an interesting question because one of the biggest myths, I think, about the work that I do is that I work with people who have no confidence, very shy, don't ever want to put themselves out there. They're introverted. And the truth of the matter is I've worked with people all across the scales, people that are in the public eye. People who are highly visible, as in you see them a lot, they have their own demons. They have their own things that stop them. Sometimes they have their own self-imposed levels. I see this a lot, especially like in the corporate field. And when people come out of a corporate or a great position and they start a business, they try to bring some of that stuff with them. And what they're bringing with them is an identity of who they think they are. And sometimes you have to kind of unpack, like, who are you? So it doesn't matter whether somebody is shy or underconfident or somebody is very kind of like out there already, well-known, maybe seen as the go-to person. The string that threads through all of us is who are you? Like, who are you really? And I think in the personal development space, sometimes that can be made into a really heavy question. The truth of the matter is, you know, I like a green juice, but I also like a, I like a glass of Prosecco. I like a vodka, you know? I'm not one thing or another thing. I'm lots of things, and we all are. I like my nice food, but I'll have a cheeky fast food. We won't name the, you know, we won't name the companies. But, you know, I am a mixture of those people, and many of us are. When it comes to being visible, some people sometimes translate this oh, that means professional, which means that I can't do this, can't say that, shouldn't speak about politics, shouldn't speak about things that are out there in case it upsets somebody. And if you don't stand for anything, you you don't stand for anything. And people don't often know where they are with you. And quite often when we get to show more of who we really are and find out and dig deeper into more of who we really are, it's the weirdest thing, but that's where people start going, oh, I like you. I love that you do that. I love that you can't pronounce arcs properly, you know. Oh, I love it that you say that. I love it that you do this thing or do that thing. And I'd love to say that that just works for me. It works for everybody because everybody is so individual and unique. The problems that we have are the, the stories that we tell ourselves about, well, why we can't do that thing.
0: I do. Yeah and you see it don't you you see it in posts I mean the first step is posts online Mm. social media posts mostly so there's the school of thought that you know people will say oh you've got to be vulnerable you've got to share this so then of course some people think well I don't want to and it's like you know you don't have to It's not like you've got to give away all your deep dark secrets and then some people take it to the extreme uh, where they do. And people will engage, will like them, they'll get people in their world. And then there are people who say, well, I don't want to have vulnerability as something that I share so much because it makes me feel weak. You know, I was just going to say, what are your thoughts about
1: that? Oh, my gosh, I could rant about this. So one of the things that I realise is when we position ourselves... And this can be professionally or personally. Let's just pretend that I'm looking for the one. I need to position myself in a way that helps me find the one. But it doesn't mean I need to position myself as the best catch there is out there and not tell them that I might snore or, you know, I might not like housework, for example. I might be a bit messy. I mean, if you saw the state of my desk, papers everywhere. I clean it up and then it gets messy again. Positioning doesn't mean perfectionism. They're two different things. But one of my bugbears are people sometimes will position themselves online because they've seen somebody else do it, but they're positioning themselves not as who they really are. So it just seems or feels a bit wonky. And then on the flip side, people position the vulnerability. You know, so many people say to me, oh, I love the work of Brené Brown. I do too. But it doesn't mean that you have to build your persona on being vulnerable. So there are genuine stories where people were living under a ditch by the river in a van and millions of debt. But just because somebody else has had success telling that story doesn't mean that you should tell the story. And the thing is, people don't only see it, they smell it a 100 miles off. The reason that I rant about it isn't because I like saying that's wrong, don't do it. It's because when somebody does that, they hide who they really are. And that's what I mean about it feels like my purpose to help people be visible. If you're being visible, you're not hiding who you are at all. You're embracing who you are. If you've got a story that you're not ready to share, there are ways to share the story without going into the detail. Keep your privacy and all of that. But you don't have to do it because you've seen someone else do it and you think it's a thing to do. The more we can show up as who we are, the more we can share who we really are the more empowering it is for the people around us.
0: And it also depends on who is around us, isn't it? If you want to be with people who are not always sharing the vulnerable side of themselves because that's your character, where you need to get to know somebody more in a deeper way and build a relationship before you could talk about things like anything, historical experiences, (laughs) feelings. If you're somebody who actually likes to just focus in and get a job done because that's how you work and you want to surround yourself with people like that, then be you because it sounds to me what you're saying is the more you, you are in your visibility and that includes not just being online but it's offline it's standing in the butchers it's standing at the veg shop it's talking to your family the more that people are going to gravitate towards you are going to be people who get you who get that that's what it sounds like to me because each of us has good days bad days we can't go around justifying our every moment we can't it's just not possible oh i'm so sorry i'm feeling so happy today just in case you're feeling miserable it would just be like oh my goodness can you you know But there are people who do that as well. They apologise before they've even started talking about it because they've just made the assumption that somebody's going to perhaps not like it or not resonate with it or not understand. And that to me... I've seen people high up showbiz celebrities do it. I've seen people who are just starting out in business online do it. And that is, I believe, I would say lack of confidence in the response you're going to get by just being you. And also by trying to take on and embrace everybody else's is very, you know, it's admirable. But actually, it's quite draining. That is so draining, isn't it? It's
1: exhausting. And that's what happens. That's why people fall out of love with what they do or their businesses because it is exhausting trying to be all things to all men and women and non-binary but it's a difficult thing to do. I think it's the confidence to just be yourself and here's a really weird illustration for this. A few years back I did a talk and I spoke about my hair because since the age of 17 to like for decades I had had some sort of hair extensions, wigs, something called weaves of you know where you have your hair sewn in so it all looks long i know you'll know that but some people be going, what all of these and my natural hair hadn't seen the light of day until 2013 when i went on a trip to ecuador now what i didn't tell anyone was i had this long sleek flowing hair and it was an intuitive business retreat so there were a small group of women we all got to know each other you know that kind of norming storming and forming they talk about and um all day they've been saying, Oh, your hair's so lovely. And I did what you're supposed to do. I said, Thank you. What I didn't say was, Actually, this is a wig. And underneath, my hair is a right mess, <laughs> you know? So I just said, Thank you. Until that evening, we go for our, our meal, our, our meet and greet meal. And, and the woman running the retreat, this makes me laugh thinking about it, it says, Tomorrow we're going to go to the most powerful waterfall in Ecuador. Now, the indigenous people believe. That with the power of this waterfall, it blows away everything that you don't need. And I'm like this on the outside and inside. I'm like, oh my gosh, what we're we gonna do? What we're we gonna do. I'm freaking out, but with my nice poker face, I think I learned in the boardroom, you know? Anyway, to cut a very long story short, that night I didn't sleep because I had to make a decision what I was gonna do the next day. And like all the rational things in my mind. Do I walk around like this, holding on to my hair so it doesn't blow away? Do I make a story that it's blown my hair off, you know? But actually, I decided to like be truthful. And I went down to breakfast, um, having had like 24 inch long hair to hair that was in two little ponytails. But you know what I learned from that experience? I learned what i thought about myself and how i thought people would think of me with sleek hair or not sleek hair. i learned that people actually embraced when they could see who i really was but the biggest thing i learned from a visibility perspective was oh my gosh those things that we try and hide from other people once we bring them out in the open it's probably the thing that people need to hear most from you that was a light bulb moment so that's what i would say Those things that you think hiding. And even as I say it, people will be thinking, oh, no, I wouldn't talk about that. Make a note of it and start to introduce it where you feel comfortable and you'll be amazed at the resonance that it draws to you as a person and how freeing it is for you to be who you really are.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And you don't have to just sort of go out there and post things out in the world. You can actually just share those things in masterminds in business groups at networking it doesn't mean that you've got to suddenly go and tell the seven billion people in the world this is me and this is what i'm really like that to me is where people fall down as well they think they've got to make this public declaration and you do not have to make it they're not interested they really don't care and half the time when people see a lot of the posts, they start off and they can see some type of post if they're not in your immediate audience they're going to scroll past it yeah. So it's any people who are automatically, you know, that are in your world that are going to, oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, what's Jenny saying today? What's Kate writing about that are going to go? Oh, that's interesting. Or well, they see a key word. So what you said, practice talking about it to yourself. I think what you said there, writing it down, making some notes, I think that's actually quite a powerful thing, because sometimes I'm somebody who puts things into boxes. I have to. I just compartmentalize. It's probably part of ADHD. I don't know, but it's how I do it. It doesn't mean they disappeared. or I'm not thinking about it. But I have to put them into little boxes because otherwise if it's not right in front of me or in a place I can access easily, it doesn't exist. I mean, people don't exist. Sometimes I forget they exist. just crazy. <laughs> but we do that with experiences, with feelings or what will people think of me if I did that? Yeah. And I wonder if also people can step into sometimes like, oh, my gosh, I need an origin story. I need a backstory, I say origin story because I'm obviously a Marvel uh, fan. And it's like, what is that? Now you look at people like Brené Brown, you look at people like, they give you the same story. They tell it from different perspectives. You Mm. hear it a lot and you just say, "Oh, I've heard it again. And another time they'll talk about it and you'll go, oh yeah, actually, because they are making it fit into what they're talking about. And that is the key. You don't just have to go out there and just, oh, here is my story. I was in class and the teacher didn't understand me and sent me out. It's not like that. It's about mm-hmm. understanding. And I think that is actually probably more of a key part. You could speak to have the most confident client in the world, but it's about perspective, positioning and timing. It is. I would even break it down
1: into one short sentence. I don't know who said this originally. I was I was saying this at a talk recently. Share from the scar, not the wound. If you remember that, it's really liberating. If you're going through a thing like the hair thing, there's no way I could have stood up and told that story at the time it was happening. In fact, I didn't tell it for probably a year later. And even then it felt risky. But I felt like I'd moved through it enough to know. So if you are going through a thing, and in the business online world, we see bankruptcies, we see relationship breakdowns, we see sexuality, we see gender, we see race, you know. If you are still traveling through it and trying to make sense of it, you're likely to be in the wound and it's okay not to share it. If it's a scar that you can look back on and go, wow, that hurt, but this is what I got from it, then share it from there, literally.
0: That is a powerful strategy and the whole podcast here is behind the strategy and we've been pulling out different strategies that you've used through time along the way that you've brought with you. And I want to go a little bit deeper on that about you've shared what happened at the retreat when you first started to consider how am I going to talking about it or when you first started to think about talking about it, what was it that you think? made you hold back so you've come from the wound you have into the scar you've experienced it you've learned from it people just need to know this was me i think there's two ways that we look at things individually one is oh my gosh i've told i've led people to think that i had this hair and i didn't really are people going to think that i'm honest or not the other one is an actual practical thing and there's another way of looking at it oh my gosh people have said this this is what they look like they've got this picture of me now they think they see me differently Completely differently. And also, then there's the third one, actually. I I could bring in the, the third one, which is I've now just done this and shared. Now people are going to think that I'm perhaps not as confident because I wasn't honest to start with. Do you see? I'm running away with all these different thoughts. What was it for you that actually hit you when you said you stayed up that night and you thought, oh my gosh, what was the fear? I can tell you exactly what it was. And I think it's the same for a lot of people.
1: The emotions that I felt guilt. And shame. So shame that I wasn't what people thought I was, just by how I looked, like not even by how I looked, by my hair, for goodness sakes. That's like somebody saying, Day I'm having blue hair, tomorrow I'm gonna to have pink hair, and but if I have pink hair, everyone will think that I'm whatever. It's ridiculous when you say it out loud. But guilt and shame as emotions, in a strategic, kind of almost in a neurolinguistic programming kind of way. But in a strategic way, when you think about how guilt makes you feel, just for a second, don't stay in it for too long, and shame, they're really passive, like, ugh, emotions. When you think about frustration, anger, they move you. So when you're in guilt or shame, I felt guilty that I hadn't said to everyone, thank you for my hair, but it's actually a wig. I felt guilty about that. And I felt shame that people might not think of me as professionally, they think I was a liar because I've never told them before. So I've definitely felt those two emotions. And that's actually what kept me awake, followed by the kind of thought of now I don't know what to say. Should I say something? Honestly, I considered everything while I was awake should I write a note slip it onto their doors should I go and speak to them one-to-one should I not go down for breakfast should I pretend to be ill should I not go on the day at all should I just risk like having my wig blown off you know all of these things and some of them were so random and so ridiculous so I think shame and guilt have the ability as emotions to render us like we can't move we can't think we can't speak And depending on what the shame or emotion and guilt is about for us, it can literally render us like take us out of the game for a few days. You know, you see that in depressions and things like that, medical change, but that kind of stuff. So I think that's what really did it for me personally.
0: Yeah. And you decided to step into it at that time you went through all that it's a lot of hours to go through those that like you said they're quite blur and i think those types of emotions they impact our decisions as does anger will make a snap decision as does frustration will make a decision based on really? what we're feeling now yeah with guilt and shame we then dwell on things so long that it's more likely to create a paralysis isn't it like you've said you just get stuck you've got this paralysis and then when you have got to do something, I think sometimes we can clutch at straws. I mean, you decided for your strategy for that experience, you decided to step into it mm. and you learned from it and it was freeing. And I think that is a strategy that is very brave. And it's a strategy that I think it would be great for us all to have. Do you know what? We're feeling these things. Let's step into it. It's a fantastic strategy. But the truth is. There's going to be some time between when those feelings kick in and when you can't just shake those sort of feelings off because quite often we don't feel them all the time. We know when we're feeling frustrated, with like, oh, funny, I'm going to go for a walk. We know if we're starting to get angry and we can take a breath to calm down. But the strategy of guilt and shame, of how we deal with that, I think we have to remember to give ourselves time like you, and experience those before we mm-hmm. can step into it. You were trying to come up with an instant decision, an instant answer. What can I do? You were trying to quickly come up with the solution and you spent all night before you did that. My point is people go through that for all sorts of decisions they're making about what's happened within their lives, how they're stepping forward in their business. And it's recognising that, isn't it? Mm. For what you've just described is really typical. It is. Thank you for saying
1: what you stepped into. But the truth of the matter was I tried to run away from it because I didn't want to feel it all that night. All of those reasons and things that I could do. And in the end, I honestly felt like, well, I didn't have much of a choice. My choice was to not go on the trip and miss out and sit in my room or just to go. And honestly, from the moment I walked down to the breakfast table, I was expecting disgust like to be thrown out out of the village type of thing, Um, to the point that when the first person, I didn't say anything about my hair, and I sat down. I remember trying to eat. I felt so sick physically. So I didn't make a decision that I was necessarily going to just like overcome it and everything else. I felt forced into a situation where I had no choice. But as I sat there, one of the ladies at the table said to me, Do you know what? I really like your hair like this, like totally unprompted. I really like your hair like that. And she said, for someone who's a visibility specialist, you can now really see who you are. What did my brain do? My brain went, she's just saying that to be kind. She's just saying it. She knows how awful I look and she's just saying it to be kind. So I was still in it. And as she got up and walked away and I'm still beating myself up, Everyone else kind of followed suit and went, yeah, we agree with her. Like, you look amazing like that. You've got a light and everything else. And I'm still telling myself they're just being polite. So I was still in it. And I wish that I could say I felt liberated and and stuff at that moment. The clue was in the fact that I didn't talk about it because I was still in the wound of it. So once it became a scar, and even the very first time I publicly spoke about it, boy,
0: was I pooping my pants. I can imagine because you suddenly then you're stepping back into what happened and even though, well, I've learned from this and actually everybody generally did think that the fear is that was a one off that because you were in a retreat, because you were all together, women supporting women. It's almost like we make excuses for what happens. OK, I'll accept it's true and what you're saying, but I'm going to make some excuses about it because, like you say, you then we're going to talk about it again. All of a sudden, everybody else is going to go, oh, my gosh, you know, how could you do that? And. We make these assumptions, don't we? And that's the thing, isn't it? We actually feed our own fear. But you can't just and say, well, don't do that, because this is what happens. And I think the key thing is to pull out what's behind the strategy is to remember that everybody has this experience at some point about something. Mm. Now, whatever that thing is, you might think, really? They felt that? Gosh, I'd have just done this. Great. Somebody else, you're going to look at and you go, oh, my God, you're going to have... I would have done that. We're all going to have our own version of this. Mm. And I think we forget that everybody else out there has also got it, is also going through it. Some people are still going through it. And we'll go through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what could be behind the strategy of being visible, the thread that you've pulled through all the way along is be you. And if you feel that you can't for some reason, that's okay. Because time's going to pass. All they say, don't they? All things pass. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't feel like that. And when you're going back into something, like you said, you bring up the feelings and emotions. It's very difficult to step away because we are in our own business. And so for you being the visibility queen, you've got an objective outside perspective on somebody. And I think having worked in the industry and having experienced it yourself and having the compassion that you do as well, an insight into people. Anyone listening, please go and check out what Jenny's doing, what she's saying, and everything, because all the way through, you've made so much sense. You've literally said, we're all pretty much the same. Some of us have a bit more confident than others. We're all trying to be the same thing. At the end of the day, being you, to you, is going to be more important you can go into a room of people and I'm sure you do and you're not going to suddenly just go and tell them all your life story you're going to be selective they don't need to know all about you they need to know all about us do they and that's what I think people forget the strategy is you can choose where and when and who needs to know what everything you've said for me it's about fear of not being in control of what people are going to do and what people think and I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this, but I don't want to break it to you, listeners. You're not in control. Ha! You don't control anyone else's thoughts. You really don't. So focus on your own. <laughs> I don't know what you think. Of- I love
1: that you said that because it's the question I get asked all the time. It doesn't matter what I've done or said. But what if I put something out online and somebody says something horrible about it? You can't control them. But after what Kate just said, there's always a delete button. It's as simple as that. You don't have to explain why, you know, you don't have to send a message. Oh, I'm afraid that you just said this and it's against none of that. You just hit delete. End the story. And if you really want to, then you hit block. That's the great thing about being online. And in truth, it doesn't happen very often at all. We think it might. We worry about it. But it actually doesn't happen that much.
0: We quite often create our own fears and anxieties because we try and analyse all the potential outcomes and what ifs and one strategy I truly like to share with people is that you can look at the outcome but if you're trying to decide whether to do something based on a potential outcome you're going to be here from now till kingdom come because to be honest you can't control the outcome things are going to happen along the way there are different ways of that it could happen. It may happen, it may not happen. So unless it's something very clear cut, by trying to decide what to do now based on a potential outcome, it means you've got no room for manoeuvre. You've now set the task and that's gonna be hard to come back from when you stumble along the way. So one step at a time, I think, just focus on Mm -hmm. what do I need to do now and then just go with that. How am I going to be more visible? And it's not just about us being visible to others. Who do I want to be visible to me? That's what I think you bring as well. You highlight the fact that we, it's not just about each of us individually being out there and being ourselves as well. It's about who do we want to be visible to us? Who do we want to see in our world? And I think that is behind the strategy. Be selective. Jenny said, there's a delete button. Now, you may not be able to delete some friends families as much as we would like to, but you know what? You can be busy a lot (laughs) if you don't want to see them. (laughs) Sorry, come to your event. I've got to sort out the sock drawer.
1: There is that. It's so true. And it's funny because I have an internal strategy or eternal strategy is always your voice matters. I don't mind what your start in life was like, if things were always great and now they kind of nosedive. I don't care about what got you to this point here. I care about your voice really mattering and you've been able to do that. I care about people being seen and heard. And most importantly, I want them to be able to be their level of visible at any time, at any place, anywhere that they need to be, not that somebody say, some big kind of person or guru says that you need to be seen and heard. I want you to be able to say yes and no to the things that has your voice heard. That's literally all I care about. If it's not around that, then I'm sure there's someone else that will tell you to be the shouty sweary person so that you're visible, to wear the bright clothes so that you're visible, to make up stories so that you're visible. That's not me, because when someone walks away from me or the work that we've been doing, I want them to be able to be visible on their terms at any time.
0: Jenny, this has been an amazing conversation. We could still talk for hours and hours and hours. I know that. And this has absolutely been marvellous. We've been able to really give some good tips, some good advice and share. And that's what it is. Conversations. Mm -hmm. It's about having conversations at the end of the day. Have a conversation with yourself as well, isn't it? Please do go and find Jenny, shown us in this podcast today, how amazing she is, how insightful she is, how thoughtful she is, and how she knows people. And stepping into visibility, it isn't just about making more posts and being more seen and shouting around. So please do go and find Jenny. Jenny, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Under my grueling questions, I hope they've been really grueling for you.
1: (laughs) I love them you and i can talk about anything i don't know what you would have to say for me to go okay (laughs) no (laughs) Uh,
0: see now there's a challenge (laughs) no thank you so much for being here and speak to you again very very
1: soon yes see you soon thank you for having me on
0: You've just listened to a Strategy Success Lab production of Behind the Strategy with Kate Whitley, bringing you inspiring guests and motivating messages to challenge your perspective and simplify your strategy. Don't forget to subscribe and pop over to strategysuccesslab.com for more exciting episodes. And if you've loved this episode, go and share it with someone else who needs it today.